0: Maybe you've noticed, Black English, some linguists and educators call it African American Vernacular English, or AAVE, has moved into the national conversation. It's a driver in music and film.
1: Somebody pop all day, hola, somebody on their way, hola, I would have grown day, hola, somebody can't relate, Stay down with no bacon, go up, down, I'm in racing, go up, she wild, I'm dangerous, go up, my crowd in rotation.
0: It's on social media.
2: It is an unspoken Black girl rule not to say nothing when somebody box braids looking a little raggedy and grown out. I know my show is. Cause it's like, we could say something, but what you're not about to do is help me take them out. Me,
0: uh uh-uh. It takes so long to do Black hair, it's just like, all right, bro, you got it. It's proudly and unapologetically spoken by Black youth, integral to American culture.
3: When
4: it comes to AVE, it's just our communication. The ways in which we use language, which I think is very colorful and powerful.
0: Donya Thomas, who received three degrees from the college, including her PhD in 2017, teaches and develops black studies curriculum at Gehanna Jefferson High School.
4: Being or coming from black cultural community, our ways of speaking has influenced American culture in such profound ways. I hear myself saying, like, that's dope, or that's fire, or even the bomb, I always used that so much when I was growing up and we're using opposites as emphasis. You know, a lot of people would look at a bomb or dope or, you know, dope is, some people like, oh, you're talking about drugs? I'm like, no, these are all things that represent good things, even though you go off of the king's English, it would be deemed as something that would be bad.
0: The phrases, the memes, the culture behind Black English have become woven into American life. And that's not new. But one place you typically won't find AAVE? In American classroom instruction.
4: Classrooms have been, unfortunately, used to alienate kids because of how they talk. April Baker-Bell, who's an associate professor at MSU, she speaks about the concept of language wars or how classrooms can be linguistic battlegrounds. And I can't agree more we are really suppressing the beauty and eloquence and really the ancestral lineage of our students when we try to tell them that they need to speak a certain way.
0: In this episode of the Ohio State University Inspire podcast, we will dive into the history and influence of African-American vernacular English and the decades-old controversy about using it in schools. I'm Robin Chenoweth. Carol Del Grosso is our audio engineer. Kyle Bucklew is our student intern. Inspire's production of the College of Education and Human Ecology. Why do some scholars think it's imperative that Black English be incorporated into teaching? Inspire asked several educators, and they all told us, you can't disassociate AAVE from its complex history. Professor Stephanie Power Carter studies language and human interaction at Ohio State. When
2: I talk about the language, I talk about how how it speaks to the intelligence and intellect of Black people. You had slaves coming to the United States. All of them had their own languages and they took a little bit of English, took a little bit of what they all had and brought it together. And so you have this like beautiful Gullah language, you have these
0: beautiful languages. Research shows that AAVE has influences of Gullah, Germanic Southern English, and structural similarities with other African-based Creoles.
2: People understood to the point that they used Negro spirituals to escape slavery. It was a very coded language.
0: Donya Thomas.
4: We know the spirituals are definitely a way in which Black people were able to put codes and messages in their language through their singing that would come off as just, us. oh, hey, there they go, just making harmonies, but not realizing that when we say wait in the water, we're talking about literally giving our peers instructions on how to escape or ways in which to get the scent off of them when they plan to escape. There's lots of codes. Um, and messages that were incorporated, which to me represent our intelligence. It represents our ability to adapt. But at the same time, I think also shows, once again, our, our ability to have to weaponize everything that we do have in order to help protect us and to ha- allow us to thrive and help other generations also be able to thrive as well.
0: Stephanie power Carter.
4: Even today, if you listen to hip-hop language,
2: you'll see some of the, the same things. And what I love about it is kids is particularly, they do some really amazing things. You know, the use of opposites. Like, man, that's stupid. They don't mean it's stupid, but they mean that is, like, awesome. Or, ooh, that's a
0: bad dress. It's not that the dress is bad. Researcher John Rickford compiled a catalogue of features distinctive to the language, using decades of linguistics research. AAVE has a structure. Auxiliary verbs, like is and are, are dropped because meaning is implied. Verbs are conjugated in the third-person plural. TH is replaced with the letter D
2: use of DIS. You have the TH and the DIS. So there are certain features that African-American language users use. There are distinct rules in AAVE, like the indefinite, continual, occasional tense. He be going. You'll hear students say, he be going. What does that mean? And anybody knows that what they're saying is, this is habitual. He be tripping. He's tripping now. He was tripping yesterday. And he's still tripping. And it's also this level of energy and rhythm that we bring. You will hear the intonation at the end, like, you know, girl. Historian Browder calls it a soul language. He talks about it as a language that captures the essence and soul of Black people.
0: Author Claude Brown wrote in 1968 that it's not the words, but the sound that conveys them. A-A-V-E, he said. Possesses a pronounced lyrical quality, which was frequently incompatible to any music, other than that ceaselessly and relentlessly driving rhythm that flows from poignantly spent lives. There's something evocative and powerful about that rhythm.
3: You're like, girl, shut up. You don't. <laughs> believe this-
0: That's Donna Ford, EHE distinguished professor, during our group discussion.
3: You keep on talking. You. That I am connecting with. So, uh, but, and we get it because, like you said, it has that rhythm. It has the non verbals yes. go with it. The information. Yes. yes. You know exactly. And we are really in tune when we say something like that.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, but it's so, fun. It's such, I mean, the fun. you know, it's that community, right? It connects you in, in a way that. For me, I'm energized when I hear young people using the language in interesting ways, but I study language and human interaction, so I'm always attuned to body. And like Donna even mentioned, that soul language, you move, you lean in, you use your voice. It's that call and response feature that is just a part of it.
0: Among Black communities of aunts, uncles, grandparents, siblings, neighbors, AAVE creates a circle of inclusivity, a code language that says, you belong. And yet many black children often aren't aware of the boundaries of that circle until they venture out of it. Tanya Middleton is a clinical assistant professor of counselor education.
5: My mother worked in administration roles. And so we would always laugh. She had this work voice that, You no, know, when she's talking to us, it's a different kind of vernacular, if you will. And then when the phone would ring and it's a corporate call, voice switched up is what I what we would laugh about. We weren't scolded about how we spoke or anything like that, but I do remember the difference in her work voice and compared to her being at home. Just watching my mom and her mannerisms, so to speak, is where I, I learned that there was a, a difference in, in the two.
3: I noticed it on television. Donna Ford. We only had like three or four channels. I know some people can't imagine that that really was the case. I noticed watching these predominantly white shows, how the characters uh, talked. And honestly, I thought it was something wrong with the way they were talking. I thought the way I was talking was the right way or the correct way or the proper way to say things. Um, but But I knew there was a difference. And I definitely knew there was a difference once my sisters and I, uh, got in school, and that was when I would see teachers, unfortunately, correcting us and using the term speak proper English, use standard uh, English. If you just listen to the words proper, that means that our way of talking, which is Black English, is improper. If we use the word standard English, we're saying that people are saying that the way we speak is substandard, subpar. And so there's all this um, deficit thinking and disrespect and disregard for the way Blacks, in particular descendants of slaves, um, would speak. So there's a lot of history and it's very rich in terms of why so many of us speak Black English. We are bilingual. There's what I'm saying is Black English is a language. It is not a foreign language. And because it is a language, and we speak mainstream, and we speak Black English, Black people should be considered uh, bilingual. And in some ways, you can go ahead and say ELL students like English language learner students, and we need to get the same support that is given to those who are currently considered bilingual.
0: The use of AAVE in classrooms has been a focus of Professor Elaine Richardson for years. She was mentored by Geneva Smitherman, a trailblazer in the field. Though Richardson was unavailable for this podcast, here's what she had to say in an interview with Grand Rapids Community College in 2014.
1: For the most part, um, curriculum is not designed to empower people of color. It is designed to assimilate you into American society, it does not take into account in a, in a deep way your language background, your linguistic background, the power circumstances for why you may be disempowered, why you are in the hood, why maybe you're the first person in your family to go to college. There's a big disconnect, I think, even beginning in the lower grades because when they even teach you phonics, They're teaching you the standardized phonics. So if you speak African American English, for example, if you speak that, and they're showing you W-I-T-H, and they're telling you that that T-H is f but you pronounce it f with an F, that's already a disconnect for you because, and they're not telling you that what you speak is a language system. They're telling you you're wrong and it's TH. So it's a disconnect for uh, many people of color. I wouldn't say for all, but for many. It's things like that that it's disconcerting for you until you learn how to play the game that is education. You have to get your own education alongside the traditional recognized curriculum. Because for the most part, you're not going to get it in school. I asked Tanya Middleton
0: how those messages affected the well-being of Black children.
5: It's a belonging. It's a sense of becoming comfortable with who you are and what your race represents in your culture. And if you're being told that this is unacceptable or that, oh, no, this is acceptable if you do it this way, then you tend to get confused and you're not really building who you are as a person. I'm thinking about the speaking piece to it, you know, with Obama and how, oh, he speaks so well. That's one of the worst things. I, I can't stand when I hear that. And I have kids. And so when my children were little and they would, you know, bring them around different people. Oh, my gosh, they speak so well as if they're surprised by that. And if you think about what does that do to a child? If I'm behaving this way, then it's considered to be a good thing. But if I'm behaving in my my true environment and who I really want to be, then that's considered to be a bad thing. And as we're growing up and we're really cultivating who we are and we're in a sense of becoming, it sends contradictory messages. And then the other thing I want to I want to mention is that It seems as though it's okay when the dominant culture takes it on. Um, You hear a lot of, a lot of whites, newscasters or media personnel using words and using the the language, Um, and then, oh, well, that's acceptable because they're doing it.
0: Educators have made attempts to correct the harm done to speakers of Black English. Most famously, California's Oakland Unified School Board in 1996 Proposed a resolution promoting Ebonics, a hybrid of ebony and phonics, which would be recognized as its own language. The resolution aimed to help black students who were not thriving in Oakland Unified Schools. It Stephanie hit Power the Kirtle, news
2: And everybody lost their mind. The school board got together a group of people, and it was parents and community members. And one of the things that they kind of said was hey, we want to honor students' language. We want them to use their language to learn to think of it as translation, to not devalue them or mess with their personhood. And you would have thought the world lost their mind. I mean, Congress held a session on it. Oklahoma (laughs) did some interesting stuff. And what's so sad is it just goes back to the same conversation we're having about critical race theory, all these conversations about the humanity of Black people in this country. It is ridiculous (laughs) that in 2021, that we are still having to say the things about us are okay. Our language, it should not be up for
3: debate.
0: Donna Ford.
3: We still have speech and language specialists who believe that when they hear us speaking Black English, that we need intervention. So it remains problematic. In my area, gifted education, the top um, things that educators look at when they think a child is gifted is their language. I believe, and I've said this over and over and over again for 30 something years, that teachers will under-refer us for gifted programs because we are not speaking mainstream English. When I think of bilingual education, I I view it in a spirit of advocacy. And so this is where we are not trying to take away children's language, people's language, because in doing so, you take away their heritage, you take away their identity. Instead of trying to be subtractive, taking away their language, you're being additive, you're adding language. And to repeat, and I'll I'll say this forever, we need educators to do the same thing with those of us who speak Black English. Do not take it away, you are adding mainstream English. And it puts us in a win-win situation.
0: And so where does this leave educators and the Black students they teach? Education systems have a long way to go to realize improvement when it comes to recognizing Black English. But there are some bright spots. One is Danya Thomas' African American Voice Black Studies Black Lit class. In her TEDx talk from 2019, she described her class as concealed from the outside world in its own Wakanda Nation, a reference to the popular movie Black Panther.
4: There's a huge exclusion of Black cultural contributions um, in classrooms, in all subjects, which is just blasphemous to me when we understand the influence and the importance of Black culture even worldwide. So that's really was my drive for um, starting this class, on top of the fact that when I came in, there was hardly any. Black representation in the literature that was being shared and studied in the classroom. It was important for me to push against that and to create the space for students to be able to learn the things that I wish I was able to learn in the class when I was um, in grade school.
0: So was the course material available, just not being used, or did you have much trouble finding?
4: Oh, no, uh, that's one thing for me. I was thankful because I grew up in a, in, in a house where, from day one, since from a little age. I had a plethora of Black literature that I had ex- exposure to. For me, it was as easy as going home and pulling things from the bookshelf, <laughs> using my own resources to bring into the classroom so that we had, even to this day, a rich variety of, of literature and bigger than literature, because I think this Black Lit course really encompasses a lot of things. We study music as literature. Coming up in this unit, we're gonna be looking at Thieves in the Night is a song we're gonna be looking at by Black Star, which is hip hop group out of New York that has the two artists, Most Steph and Taliquali. Agree that
5: everything you see ain't really how it be. A lot of jokers out, running in the place, chasing the style. Be a lot going on beneath the empty smile. Most cats in my area be loving the hysteria. Sit the side surface, conceals the interior. of America let the opportunity, my camouflages more than usually, speaking loudly, saying nothing, you confusing me, you losing me,
4: your game is twisted, want me? And Kara's one, we must learn where he shares the backstory of black excellence and that's establishing certain civilizations throughout the world, but also the social construction of race itself
5: shoots when one doesn't know about the other one's culture Ignorance swoops down like a vulture. because you don't know that between just a janitor no one told you about Benjamin Banneker a brilliant black man that invented the almanac can't you
4: see what KRS is coming at what he like with me we're going to learn friend about friend the connection me. of Benjamin Ben Banneker to the creation or the architecture of Washington DC they're going to read the letter that uh, Benjamin Banneker wrote to Thomas Jefferson and also look at the letter that he responded back to him. And in many ways, pay attention to a lot of the things that are being said, as well as understanding the contradictions that exist within this communication as well. I try to make these experiences as rich as possible. So I'm actually having a speaker come in once we do that work that actually is a ancestor of Sally Hemings. Thomas Jefferson's slave and
0: also mother to several of his children. To come
4: in and speak about Marcello so that they can really get a true understanding. They're going to look at these pieces and learn about Thomas Jefferson from a Benjamin Banneker perspective, but also understand and learn about it from an experiential perspective from someone who is connected directly to him, his bloodline. I feel like this generation is full of creatives, and a lot of my students, I think, are visual learners, and when they are engaged with art, it gives them an opportunity to connect with their emotions, and you realize that they can have creative ways of expression. We're going to the Columbus Museum of Art to see the Amina Robinson exhibit. And so I like to also incorporate experiential aspects into the class. The students are learning, obviously, about great Black artists and that have also documented history and learning about Columbus as a city, the social aspects of Blackness that exist here in this city that they may not have been exposed to, as well as give some background into the uh, King Lincoln Bronzeville area, which is pretty much like our Black Wall Street. And they're also going to be doing a, a haiku assignment based off that. And those haikus are going to be tied to Sonia Sanchez's work which we know definitely utilizes A-A-V-E. She was one of the first poets that I came across at a very young age that uh, utilized A-A-V-E in in a powerful way that spoke to me. So we're going to be looking at several of her pieces as well as allowing students to be, I guess, empowered or inspired by that and their engagement with the art to create their own haikus and to create a photo essay.
0: If you didn't notice, a lot of learning is going on in Thomas's class, including through African American Vernacular English. And her curriculum changes each year, but also day to day, depending on what students are seeing in the world around
4: them. Students also co-create with me. So I try to establish really strong relationships with my students to the point where sometimes I'll get emails throughout the day. Some of them I'm actually connected to on social media, so I'll get DMs. And it might be something like, look, Dr. Thomas, did you see this? And we talk about it, like, okay, let's bring this into class. Tomorrow, And let's talk about this in relation to what we're learning about.
0: An interesting side note, 35% of Thomas's students are white. I asked her if she thinks the topics they study invoke guilt in any of them.
4: I don't, because I think it's the way in which I set up the class that they don't feel guilty. They definitely feel miseducated. But I think that's why they're so excited about taking the class. And that's why we're all able to grow as a community. They're able to learn and embrace that learning and allow that to impact how they navigate throughout the world and the role in which they play as community members. I personally feel none of us are really truly defined by race. We live in a society that does. And that's why I have to keep it 100 and keep it real and share how uh, these false narratives continue to impact us, and how as new leaders they should be aware of these things so they can push against them and therefore really create the world in which they want to live in. But um, you know, I don't. They know I'm coming from an authentic place of love, and that you know, even when we are transparent about you know certain things that are impacting us in this community, I mean, in this in this world or in this in this country. because of the way in which the class has been set up and the energy that, that we have in here on a regular basis, um, I think most of my white students actually uh, feel more educated and empowered from having this class. Are
0: you hopeful, given the response that you're seeing to this generation taking your
4: class? Oh, oh my goodness, 100%. I tell people all the time, I feel like I have the best job ever simply because I'm able to be around these young people and see who they truly are and understand their perceptions, understand that they really are here to create a new way of thinking. They are so talented, they are so gifted. Many of them are sensitive, and um, the fact that they are privy to, like, obviously, what's going on around them, hence why I always do meditation or give them tools so that they not be impacted so much by what's going on around them. But at the same time, that sensitivity, that emotion also gives them power to be change agents. It makes them more aware of the fact that they aren't here to do things the same way. When I was in school, I questioned a lot of things and I just wasn't given the opportunity to make that apparent to my environment as opposed to me allowing students to ask those questions and to seek the answers that they need and to openly, critically think about the things that are happening around them. So they give me so much hope. Like That is really one of the main reasons why I'm um, very optimistic about the future Simply because I'm around these young people. I honestly know that there is the light at the end of this tunnel because of the fact that I'm able to fellowship with these um, beautiful spirits. So, yes, my students in this class, oh, yeah, they find they, they, right.
5: <laughs> See what I'm saying? It's not to diss a man. We need the 89 school system. One that can to a black return because you must learn. <laughs>
0: you, you, i